This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to season four of the Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first three seasons, there's plenty of content for you if you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or if you're training to be a lawyer. You'll also meet some amazing local charities and learn about the work they do. You can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode of our podcast, residential property solicitors Stephanie Barton and Gemma Williams consider all the aspects of selling a residential property. They talk through the various steps and explain the process, highlighting the difference between signing and exchanging contracts. Hello, I'm Stephanie. And I am Gemma. Today we will be talking about selling a residential property. We'll be including in this podcast the sale by the owners of their own property, the sale by executors and the sale under a power of attorney. Now, whilst the transactions do follow the same procedure, there are various requirements which need to be observed depending on the nature of the seller. So, Stephanie... Let's deal with the general position first. So if I had put my property on the market, the first question that comes to my mind is how much would it cost? Well, here at Lanyon Bowdler, our fees are based on the sale price of the property, depending on whether the property is freehold or leasehold. Of course, you can contact us via our website or directly over the telephone, and we'll be able to provide you with a quote. This will include third-party expenses or disbursements that we anticipate will be applicable in your sale. When should I instruct a solicitor? This may seem really obvious, of course, but you should instruct us as soon as possible. You should also provide your solicitor with as much information regarding the property, all the relevant certificates, the building regulations approval certificates, for example, regarding the installation of a boiler, the fences certificates for any windows installed since April 2002, details regarding the septic tanks, etc. Of course, if the deeds are in your possession, that's great, and we will need to have these as soon as possible. We need to be able to check if there are any potential issues at the earliest opportunity. This will prevent any delays further down the line. If the deeds are held with another firm of solicitors or bank, then we'll be able to retrieve these. We find really that the initial stages in a transaction are usually the slowest when the information has to be gathered. At this stage as well, we have to undertake our due diligence. So we will need to obtain evidence of your ID. So this is a passport or a photocard driving license, a utility bill, but not a mobile phone bill. If you're selling as a personal representative or under a power of attorney, we will also need to have a certified copy of the grant of probate or letters of administration or the lasting power of attorney. We also need evidence of ID for the donor. I am selling my uh, late parents' property, Gemma, uh, but the grant of probate hasn't arrived yet. What should I do? Firstly, we would recommend that you hold off putting the property on the market. We do need a copy of the grant of probate in order to sell the property. It is a very important document. If you are not in the process of actually dealing with the grant of probate itself, we'd recommend that you speak with our wills and probate department who would be able to assist you. We would also need a copy of the death certificate. I would also recommend that if there was, for example, a property that was held joint tenants and sadly somebody has passed away. We wouldn't actually need a grant of probate for this property sale as long as they held the property as joint tenants. We would only need a death certificate. If the property was held as tenants in common, however, 
we would need you to go down the route of a grant of probate. If the property is registered and you have this query, we would be more than happy to download a copy of the title documentation from the land registry and have a check to see one, how the property was held and to help you and discuss the way to go forward and point you in the right direction of what documents are needed. So you've instructed a solicitor, do I have to pay money up front, Gemma? We ask for a minimal amount of money on account so that we can obtain the documents from the land registry as soon as possible. If you are selling a leasehold flat, we will then need to obtain the management pack from the management company. The fees for this can vary. We will normally ask for the cost of these fees and then ask for the payment on account from you. When do I pay the solicitor's fee? Our fees are deducted from the sale proceeds. So... On completion, we receive the sale monies from the purchaser's solicitors. From this, we redeem, which we or you would class as pay off, any mortgage and if necessary, any outstanding leasehold costs. We then pay the estate agent's commission and then we deduct our fees. We provide you with a completion statement. This sets out the monies we have received on account from you. The sales money is received and this will take into account any apportionments due as regards to leasehold properties and the money's paid out on your behalf. We will, though, check that the statement is correct before going ahead and paying or redeeming your mortgage. My buyers are thinking of using Lanyon Bowdler as well. Would that make the transaction any faster? The answer to this is no. Whilst there are limited circumstances in which our governing bodies allow us to do so, at Lanyon Bowdler, we have taken the decision not to. There is always potential of conflict, and therefore we will act for the seller or the buyer. We can, of course, provide details of other solicitors if requested. So what happens when a buyer has been found? Firstly, the estate agents will send us a memorandum of sale. On this document, it will set out the seller's name, the buyer's name and the solicitors acting for both. It will also include the property address and the most crucial part, the sale price. It also provides whether there are any special conditions which need to be observed, such as whether any particular items are being sold with the property. For example, the lawnmower, the arger, or even the antique chandelier. When we receive this, and on this basis we have already been instructed by you, we will then open a file and send out our initial letters to you. Our initial letters provide you with quite a bit of information. It includes a guide as to selling the property, So this document you can revert back to during the course of the transaction. You will also receive the property information form and fittings and contents form. And if the property is leasehold, you will also receive the leasehold information form. It is very important and there is a warning on the front of the forms to complete this information as accurately as possible. Do not guess the answer. If you are selling as a personal representative or under a power of attorney, then your knowledge may be limited. Some of these questions may become a bit tricky. We are always happy to help and go through these documents, so please do not hesitate to ask us. You will also need to return these forms and we will need to send them to the buyer's solicitors with a copy of your title, which we'll have downloaded from the land registry with the payment you have made on account. This will go together with the draft contract and any other relevant information. For example, any fence certificates for the window or any building regulations, which Stephanie mentioned to you at the beginning of this podcast. So Stephanie, now we've dealt with the initial documentation, what happens next? 
So once a contract has gone to the biosolicitors together with the supporting documentation, the biosolicitor undertakes searches and raises inquiries. Of course, we need your input on this uh, for the inquiries because we don't know every property in England and Wales. You can come in to discuss these with us or we can go through these over the telephone. One of the questions received from a biosolicitor is regarding the consent for an extension. Now, whilst most people have building regulations approval or planning permission, if necessary, many do not have the legal consent. Now, please don't worry regarding this because we can obtain, if necessary, a indemnity insurance policy and we can discuss this on a case-by-case basis. So by now, we have sent the contract and have answered all the inquiries raised by the buyer's solicitors. What is next? Well, when everyone is ready, we can start discussing dates. To some people, this is the second most important part after the sale price. It is important to note that whilst we can consider dates and timescales early on, and of course there is no harm in doing so, every transaction is different and we can be relying on third parties and matters beyond our control, such as mortgage lenders. When everyone is ready, we can discuss dates for completion. Completion is when you cease to have ownership of the property and will have to vacate. If you are buying another property at the same time, then we will of course discuss dates with your onwards transaction. You will need to ensure that you can vacate the property. There is a time in the contract which is usually around noon. This means that you'll have to remove the property from everything that you said you would take. And that could include the antique chandelier leaving only items in the property that were stated to remain or to be sold in the fittings and contents form. So Stephanie, now we've dealt with the main aspect of the transaction, when do I actually sign the contract? I'm sure you often hear, Gemma, as I do, clients say, the other party signed the contract, why haven't I? It's really important to remember that there is a distinction between signing and exchanging contracts. Signing is just that, it is signing. The contract is signed in anticipation of the matter proceeding. It is not binding at this stage. Unfortunately, things can still go wrong and the transactions can fall through. Exchanging is different and this is the all-important part. Once we've exchanged, and again, please don't worry, we telephone you beforehand to confirm you want to go ahead and we confirm the purchase price, the completion date and of course the property address and who you are. Then we exchange contracts. You don't need to be in the office to exchange. We do this over the telephone and we will phone you back. What in fact happens between exchange and completion, Gemma? So as the seller, you pack and prepare to vacate the property. From our point of view, we obtain a final redemption statement from your lender, prepare the final completion statement and prepare the file for completion. We will have had the signed transfer deed from you at this stage. And what happens at completion? On the day of completion, in essence, you will move out. We will deal with the redemption of the mortgage, the payment of the estate agent's commission and the payment of our fees. If you have an onwards purchase, we will arrange to complete on that transaction as well. You will receive a telephone call from us to confirm that completion has taken place and that the keys need to be dropped off at the estate agent's. If you do not have an onwards purchase, we will then send the net proceeds of sale to you. However, if we are acting in the estate, then the transfer of the net proceeds will go to our colleagues in the private client department. And what should I do about the keys, Gemma? Before you vacate the property, you will need to take meter readings first. You will need to secure the property, taking the keys to the estate agents. You can, of course, leave the window keys, etc. in the property, but ensure that these are out of sight from outside. We will authorise 
the key release with the estate agents telling you first that we have received the completion monies and checking on how you are doing with your move. Do not forget that you will need to be out of the property by the time stipulated in the contract. It is best not to hand the keys over to the buyers directly. If you are considering this, then please talk to us first. If you do not have an estate agent, it is usually discussed before completion how the keys are going to be handed over. If, however, we are not aware or this has not been discussed, then we will discuss this when we telephone you to confirm completion has taken place. Can I leave any items at the property? The property is to be left empty, ensuring that all rubbish is removed. Only items which are said to be left at the property are those which should remain. At this point, we would recommend that you have a copy of the fittings and contents form so you are aware of what you have said will be taken and will be left at the property. So now we know all of that information, Stephanie. What happens about things like the council tax bill and utility bills? Really, we leave that up to you. We don't advise the council tax and utility providers. You will need to contact them as well as other relevant bodies. Obviously, Gemma has mentioned you need to provide them with meter readings. Similarly, we don't advise on capital gains tax and this you need to discuss with your accountant. What costs do I have to pay if the transaction falls through? We do not offer a no-sale, no-fee service. We would charge you in accordance with our terms and conditions of business, having regards to when the transaction aborted. This is usually done on a percentage basis based on the amount of work that we have carried out. We would also discuss this with you before we provide you with any invoice. Is there any other useful or important information that you feel is necessary? One that first springs to mind is if you have a mortgage, you must not stop paying this or cancelling your direct debit. You must continue paying your mortgage as and when it falls due until we repay it as part of the sale. If you have made an overpayment, the lender will refund you. How long does a transaction take? Well, this is always a difficult one to answer. We normally say between 8 to 10 weeks, but it does depend on the slowest party in the chain, third parties and matters beyond our control. For example, if you have had a help to buy mortgage when you purchase your property, then there are strict requirements which we need to observe. Unfortunately, these are beyond the scope of this podcast. Please do speak to us directly regarding this beforehand. So I hope that this whistle-stop tour has given you an insight into the transaction. Please remember that you can always contact us with any queries. We will be more than happy to discuss these with you. Thanks to Stephanie and Gemma for lending their expertise, yet more proof that lawyers don't bite. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.